You know, Easter uh, for many people means um, uh, an extra long weekend, and what a what a great weekend it's been. The weather has been absolutely outstanding, or it's the opportunity to uh, have hot cross buns because we don't get hot cross buns at any other time of the year, do we? <laughs> or uh, we get to indulge in just a little bit more chocolate than we um, than we usually do. But for, for Christians, um, the Easter story, and in particular Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is the, um, is the centerpiece of our faith. It's our source of hope for this life and the life to come. And it's so incredibly vital that we, we grasp something of the magnificence and the splendor of the resurrection and why it's so uh, central to the Christian story. And so for those of you uh, who know me, I'm going to dig back in time and look at the context for this thing which we call the resurrection. You see, the early Christians lived during the time of the Roman Empire, a massive military, uh, political, and economic, and cultural uh, machine um, that dominated the world all the way from, from uh, England um, through Europe into uh, the, the uh, North Africa and into uh, the Middle East. And Rome was the biggest empire that uh, the world had ever seen. It was so powerful that it conquered all that stood in its way except for the Scots. Do we have any Scots men or women here today? Is that a tartan shirt you've got on there? Not yet. <laughs> the empire was ruled by a, a series of Caesars or emperors. People uh, were told that if they worshipped Caesar, that they would experience the forgiveness of sin and salvation. And one of Caesar's um, slogans was, there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved, but that of Caesar. Sound a little bit familiar to some of us church folks? What was really interesting also is some of the titles uh, given to Caesar included things like, he was known as the Divine One, the Creator, the Image of the Invisible God, Son of God, Redeemer, Saviour of the World, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as a way of um, demonstrating that Caesar was good and that Caesar had come to save, Caesar would distribute um, bread to the people as a symbol of his reign. Uh, Rome would invade a, a, a territory and what they would do is that they would hand the people bread and it was Caesar's way of saying, see, I've come in peace. I've come to uh, bring you prosperity. And I am the one that's going to feed and nourish you. And what the Romans did to um, discourage uh, people from resisting their rule is they developed a form of punishment called crucifixion. And crucifixion was this barbaric form of torture designed to inflict uh, the maximum amount of pain on somebody for the longest possible time before they died. So I want to inflict 
the maximum amount of pain for the longest possible time before a person breathed that last breath. And so this kind of crucifixion had a, a, a great way of keeping people in check. And uh, when a Roman um, army entered into a particular province, um, the Roman soldiers would say, confess, uh, Caesar is Lord. And not surprisingly, people wouldn't put up too much of a fight. They would bow their knee to Caesar because crucifixion wasn't a particularly pleasant option. And it's against this backdrop in a remote corner of this global empire that a movement began and began to grow and began to experience momentum. And this movement uh, was called uh, Christianity, or this movement of people were called Christians. And these Christians were making a phenomenal claim, and that claim was their leader, not Caesar, but a man named Jesus, a carpenter from Palestine, who'd been crucified by the empire, had risen from the dead, and he was Lord, which meant Caesar was not. These Christians claimed that Jesus had overcome crucifixion. The very worst that the empire could inflict upon someone, Jesus had defeated that at the cross by rising from the dead. Talk about um, subversiveness. This was a revolution. This was revolutionary. This was Che Guevara, this kind of stuff. Not many socialists here this morning, I can tell. <laughs> and these Christians were doing audacious things like stealing um, those Roman military slogans and co-opting them to promote their course. And so they would say things like, there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved but that of Jesus, not Caesar. And the titles that the Romans had given to Caesar, they, um, they embraced them for their Lord. And so they called Jesus the divine one, the creator, the image of the invisible God, the son of God, redeemer, saviour of the world, king of kings and lord of lords. And these Christians would gather uh, regularly at their events called love feasts. And when they gathered, they gathered to commemorate Jesus' resurrection by eating bread. And part of that um, uh, ceremony of eating bread and drinking wine was in recognition of uh, the, the heritage or the, the history of uh, the Christian story having its foundations in, in the Jewish story of Passover. But the eating of bread was also this radical declaration that it was Jesus that they looked for and not to Caesar to feed them and to nourish them. It was Jesus who was going to save them, not Caesar. It was Jesus that had come to bring peace to the world, not Caesar. And it was Jesus who forgave sins and not Caesar. And so the resurrection is God's sign 
that a universal reign of peace and the forgiveness of sin and salvation had come into the world through this person, Jesus Christ. The resurrection was also, or is also, God's affirmation that the human body is good. You see, at, at the time of, of Jesus and the formation of the early church, Greek uh, philosophical thought promoted something called dualism. And dualism is the belief that, that human beings are divided into two parts. There is the body and then there is the soul or the spirit. And as far as dualism was concerned, that the only thing that God was interested in was the spirit of a person. And anything that was um, regarding the body, including all of its desires and pleasures, was seen as evil and to be avoided. Now, the other great Christian um, festival is Christmas. And Christmas is where we, we celebrate what is called the Incarnation. That is where Jesus takes on a human form. And it's this radical notion that in, a, in, a, in one human life, Divinity and humanity uh, reside together at the same time. And that incarnation, the Christmas celebration, uh, was God's initial validation of the body with its desires and pleasures. But the bodily resurrection of Jesus further reinforced the sacred nature of the body, the human body. And so the resurrection is God's utter uh, rejection of dualism with its idea of escapism from the body into a kind of spiritual fear and prioritising the realm of the spirit over the natural realm. And the resurrection is God saying it's good to be human. It's good to live in a body and all of the things that Bodies entails to live in a body. All of those things are sacred. Things like sleep and exercise and food and passion and, and sex and football and art and music. All these things that fill our senses are good and they are godly. I'm excited about a couple of those things. Actually, most of them. They're all, they're all pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I'll give them all a tick of approval. So the resurrection is God saying it's good. Physicality is this material world that we're part of. I endorse it. I give it my tick of approval. And it's good to be passionate. And music's wonderful. And art is wonderful. And football it's great, and exercise, and that other stuff is just brilliant. The third thing is the resurrection is the promise of a life beyond this life. Uh, uh, Paul writes, if the dead aren't raised up, that would mean that Christ has not been raised up either. And if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. It would also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, 
We deserve to be pitied more than all others. But the truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest of those who died. There is life after this life. This body, which gets to experience all those wonderful things, is actually in a state of decay. I know it doesn't look like it, but it is. I'll, I'll leave my shirt on, okay? But there is this promise that one day we will get a new one. It's good, isn't it? Some of you should be really excited. Oh, your hard work this morning. God. And then finally, there's a fascinating post-resurrection comment made by John in his gospel. The place of crucifixion was near a garden. How many gardeners do we have here? Who likes gardening? Good. This is for you. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. And she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And I love this little line. She thought he was the gardener. Talk about mistaken identity. She thought he was the gardener. As um, uh, Lou and I were in the uh, US um, some time ago and we met this guy, uh, Ron, and he was a really nice guy. We got on so well together. We had a great time. And then uh, the next day I saw Ron. At least I thought it was Ron. And so I walk up to Ron and I go, hey, <laughs> poking and prodding him. And this guy didn't respond particularly friendly. <laughs> and I could see Lou going, nah, not Ron, not Ron. He was the gardener. I just find it fascinating that Jesus is buried in a garden. And when Mary sees Jesus, she thinks that he's a gardener. The big question is, what is going on here? A garden and a gardener. Well, the Bible tells us that human life began where? In a garden. And where did it get all bent out of shape? Where did it all get messed up? So it went from beauty to messiness in a garden. It was in the garden where relationships got all distorted and twisted. It was in a garden 
that humanity began to experience fear and shame. It was in the garden that the environment began to collapse. It was in a garden that humanity were disconnected from their creator. And it was in a garden that life gave way to death. So it makes perfect sense that Jesus would rise from the dead in a garden and that he would be mistaken for being a gardener to symbolise that he was fixing everything that went wrong in that first garden in Eden all those millennia ago. Now, gardeners, they love to uh, prune. What else do they love to do? I don't know. Gardeners like to, what else? Weed and they water and they propagate and they sow seed and they're so incredibly patient because they're waiting for a seed that's being planted in the ground to take root and to grow and to flourish and to come to life. And in a garden, at his resurrection, Jesus was writing a new creation, a new Genesis story. A whole new world was bursting forth at that very moment that he rose from the dead. And resurrection is about the whole world, all of creation, all of the things that were damaged in Eden being rescued and put to right. Relationships restored. People's lives, like Lorna's, restored. The environment restored. God and people restored. Death overcome and life restored because of an empty tomb in the garden and a man who everybody thought was a gardener. And so the resurrection is ultimately about the restoration of all things. Why is the resurrection the centerpiece of our faith? Well, number one, it's a sign that a universal reign of peace, the forgiveness of sin and salvation have come into this world through Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm excited by that. I might, can I stand up next to you? Would that be all right? Yeah. That is so flipping exciting. It's only good news if you're a sinner, though. You guys are all so good. I stand up here week after week after week. I get excited when I read that stuff, and everybody else, I go, I must be such a bad guy, and all these people here are so good because they don't feel the overwhelming sense of how awesome this resurrection news is. And the resurrection is God's affirmation that the human body is good. Go and watch the footy today. It's good. I'm, on the, I'm in the ESPN uh, footy tipping competition and there are 600 and, I don't know, 600 and something thousand um, people registered and I've got to tell you, I'm in the bottom 500. <laughs> Thank you. Typical Carlton Typical supporter, yeah. 
our, our son's girlfriend, she signed up yesterday and she has got more points than I've got and I've been it since round one. Footies go, watch the football, go and enjoy life. Enjoy some music, enjoy some art, enjoy some passion with your partner, your husband or your wife. And the resurrection is the promise of a life beyond this life. And the resurrection is this glorious, magnificent promise that God, the gardener, is at work in your life and in my life and in this world, restoring everything back to the way it should be, just like it was in Eden. And that, folks, is why the resurrection is so darn wonderful. And you know what? If we lived in the reality of Easter Sunday, our lives would be different. So take hold of this message today and run with it and enjoy the fruit of it. Amen.